0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, March 2nd, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Much of what we know about contemporary income inequality masks the fact that incomes tend to go up as we get older and gain experience and education. Steve Horwitz is a professor of economics at St. Lawrence University. We spoke at the International Students for Liberty conference held last month. As you understand it, what are the conventional narratives about income, income mobility, and income inequality in the United States?
1: Well, I think the easiest way to summarize it, of course, is the rich are getting rich and the poor are getting poorer. Uh, and I think, relatedly, that the middle class is in decline and that uh, that middle class folks are living uh, living worse than they did a generation ago. And so uh, what all of that seems to suggest is that inequality is worsening, uh, mobility is you know, low or non-existent, uh, and that, that poor folks are, are perhaps worse off, or at least poverty is a bigger problem in some sense of the term than it used to be. I think that's all those things together constitute the conventional narrative. Okay.
0: So what what is missed by that or what is needs to be yeah. uh, teased out Yeah, I those think, facts?
1: I think a few things. Um, I think the richer getting rich, poor getting poorer story in particular relies upon people looking at the quintiles, you know, each 20% of the income distribution. And, and there is a piece of evidence there that people can point to. It's true. The top 20% have a higher share of, of, of national income than they did uh, uh, you know, a generation ago. The lower 20% have a slightly lower share. And so it looks like the rich are getting rich, the poor are getting poorer. But the problem there is that it's two problems. One, the pie that people are taking a piece of is much bigger than it used to be. So even if poor folks have a smaller percentage of total income, total income is so much bigger that, in fact, they're better off. Um, but I think more importantly, it misses the mobility story which is it's not the same people who are at the top and bottom every year and so the the folks at 20 30 40 years ago who were poor making a smaller percentage are not the same people who are poor today those people who were poor most of them are no longer poor and so when we want to talk about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer the focus sometimes misses a look at individual households, at particular households, and tracking them through time. What are the? Seems to me the interesting questions. What are the possibilities of getting out of poverty, and then a the related question. And what's poverty really like, and how has that changed over the years too?
0: Some uh, treasury data on income mobility shows that both at the top and the bottom, there's a great deal of change in terms of like where you go from where you are. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, and more so at the bottom than the top, right? It is true if you're at the top, you're more likely to stay at the top than if you're at the bottom to move up. So, we have this data, you know, older data, that US the Treasury data from tax returns from 79 to 88 shows about 85, 86% of folks who started poor moved up at least one quintile by 1988. And let us note that was during the horrible Reagan era when, you know, it was supposed to be so terrible for the poor yet they were moving up. Uh, and there's some issues with that data. Later, people looked at that data and said, well, it's maybe overstating it, but, but still, the later looks at, at, at mobility in later years, we still see significant mobility. If we look at five, seven, 10-year periods, if we look at longer periods, 15 years, mobility is even greater. And I think what's important about that so much of what we see in those data that say, you know the top 20% have a higher share and all that, is just people moving through their life cycle, right? People start off relatively poor, they get wealthier as they get older, they, you know, their income goes up, they do better, and they move up through that income distribution. And it's new entrants to the labor market who move in. It's immigrants. It's it's kids coming out of college who start at the bottom and then they move up. And so when you make those static comparisons, you're missing the dynamics of that of that mobility. So we're talking about cohorts
0: yeah. sh- shifting yeah. in their lives in ways that aren't perceptible based on that conventional. Yeah, that's data. right. That, that,
1: that the aggregate looking just at the quintiles at two static point in time, right, doesn't doesn't show you that that movement.
0: So what if we took a slice of 25 year olds or 30 year olds and said well where where is the rate distribution yeah. of these people's income and how has that distribution for
1: those that group that changed yeah that that's interesting i'm trying to think i don't know the i don't know if anyone's looked at income data that way. Um, what we can say about that a little bit is some of the data on household consumption we do know about, right? And we do know that, for example, you know, uh, h- households below the poverty line are much more likely to have basic appliances and electronics and cars than than those same below the poverty house, h- households were you know, 20, 40 years ago. Uh, and in terms of, you know, anecdotally, certainly if we think of middle class families, right? Uh, I grew up you know, as a kid in the 70s and you know, would I go back to the 1970s, even with my parents' income at the time? No, right? I mean, you know, we didn't have all these things that we have, and I don't mean just the electronics, but you know, medicine and and, and cars that will go 100,000 miles, and all these kinds of things that have made middle class living much better. Even when we see things like median household income stag, you know, being stagnant, that doesn't really tell us how people are actually living.
0: As uh, Don Boudreau has told me in the past, he said, if you if you want to go back to the 70s. Uh, you either have dementia or you're a misogynist yeah
1: <laughs> that's a, yeah, and and don don uh, is also has this little challenge he says would you go back to 1967 on uh, 1967's median Household income, or would you stay in the present? On, I'm sorry. Would you rather go back to 1967 on the current median household income, or stay in the present on 1967's median household income? And Don's implication is you'd be crazy, even on today's median household income, to go back because you couldn't buy, even with that income, all these things we take for granted. You couldn't get, including again, you know, air conditioning is not just a toy, right? It saves people's lives. Refrigerators, freezer, more people likely to have them and have them cheaper today. So
0: So, uh, broadly speaking on specifically the middle class, which is the the middle group of of Americans, uh, how are they doing?
1: Well, you know, the question here is always how do we define middle class, right? And everyone thinks they're middle class. And if we take the middle class as sort of broadly being 35,000 to 75,000, which captures probably about, I don't know, 60 to 70% of Americans. The reality is, is that they're doing better. And one reason we, critics are correct that the middle class is shrinking, the numbers of, of, of households in that group, but that's because they're moving up, right? If you look at some of the data over the last 10, 20 years, more households have moved up out of the middle class than households have dropped down out of the middle class. And so we've seen enormous gains like in a 12%, 15 percentage point gain in the households above $100,000 in income over that period. And and where they come from, the middle class. So it looks like the middle class is being hollowed out, to use that phrase that folks use. But in fact, it's only shrinking because, in real terms, inflation-adjusted terms, more people are moving up. And so, taking let's say
0: today's median income or below, or taking 1967's yeah. median income with today's technology, um, well, how expensive have those pieces of technology that we right. do take for granted? What's been the trend line for, for those? They're
1: all fantastically cheaper. I mean, we live, to use the economist Brad DeLong, we live in a cornucopia of consumption. And, and the way that uh, folks like, like Don Boudreau and Mark Perry and Cox and Alm have been calculating this is by saying how many hours of work at the sort of average private sector wage does it take to purchase these goods in different years. So you can go back to the 1970s and see the sticker prices of these appliances, but when you realize that the, you know, average wage was, you know, 4 or 5 dollars an hour, right, or 6 dollars an hour even, and then you figure how many hours it took of work to buy these things. And then you jump to today with an average wage around 19 dollars an hour and the sticker prices being pretty much the same, right? It takes a fraction of the work hours. We have we we don't have to work as long to get all of these basic things. And and that leaves us time and money over to buy all the other things that, that we do. And that doesn't even account for the differences in quality. You think about a color TV in the 1970s versus a color TV today, right? Huge, you know, there wasn't even remote controls other than, I used to joke, throwing throwing something at my brother to get him to change the channel. That was my remote control, right? But hey, we've got, you know, gorgeous color and quality's better. And you can think about almost any appliance you can imagine, more energy efficient. So we're, we're spending less, fewer work hours to be able to have to buy these things and getting better stuff, cars. When I was a kid, if your car got 100,000 miles, you threw a party, right? Now, if you don't get 100,000 miles, you feel like you bought a lemon. So all these, when we account for quality too, uh, all of these sort of basic consumer appliances and things we take for granted have become dramatically cheaper. I, the, the exception that people point to, and I think it's to be honest, we have to talk about the exceptions, and they're not small ones, right? Education, housing, healthcare. Okay, and and so one of the things that 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 many people have argued is that these three. One, they have gotten more expensive in those ways that we measure them, but quality has gone up. With education, that might be a little trickier, but certainly the value, say, of a college degree on the margin over high school has gone up. But, uh, you know, we think about houses, they're bigger, they got better stuff in them. And we think about medication, right, and and, health care, much higher quality, things that, you know, we we just didn't have before, $4, you know, antibiotics at Walmart. So in those ways, those things have, have gotten better. It's also true that each of those industries are ones where the price of goods and services has been heavily affected by really bad government policy. Uh, we, we're, you know, we're funding tuition out the wazoo through loans, uh, healthcare, we have this mess of a system that's the worst of all possible worlds. Uh, and, and, and so we, you know, we, 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 in housing, of course, we had the, the boom and all these other things. So these are all areas where governments played a, a really pernicious role and made things more expensive than, than they would be otherwise. And you can see that if you look at something like LASIK eye surgery, right? which is largely outside the traditional healthcare system, those prices have plummeted much like the appliances and electronics and other kinds
0: of things. Perhaps I'm revealing some of my own biases here, but it seems that the way that this kind of data is presented generally is meant to be confusing do you think i mean, uh, yeah. I, I feel it like, is it yeah. at least, it's at least a mix of yeah
1: I, I i sometimes i hesitate to say meant to be confusing i think i, I think it's more the case that the people who present it are are, are examining the data and presenting it in a way that confirms their own biases right and that may not be an intentional i'm going to try to fool people it's simply i have this prior belief that things are worse, right that that you know whomever has destroyed the United States or whatever has destroyed it or inequality is running rampant. So I look at this data and I go, what's the data I can find that seems to support that contention? And then that's, that's what they're using. But, you know, on reflection, you sort of step back and you go, would I really want to be poor in 1974? Would I really want to be poor in 1994 compared to 2015? I, and I think after a moment's reflection, right? One little anecdote that I like to tell, uh, this goes back in time a little farther, how we frequently take... We we don't recognize that poverty in the United States is a whole different thing than poverty in much of the world. In the 1940s, the Soviets decided to show the grapes of wrath the film of the Grapes of Wrath as a kind of propaganda film about how terrible the United States was, right? Because here were these people who were forced to leave their home and get in this junky car and drive across, you know, in the middle of the Dust Bowl. And we all know the story. It's horrible, right? And so they showed it as anti-American, anti-capitalist propaganda film. But they had to stop after a few showings because the the, the Russians who saw it were kind of raising their hands and go, wait, poor Americans have cars? <laughs> right? That's So, you know, when we think about that, right, that's, that's it, you know? Poor Americans rank in the top 15%, 20 percent worldwide in terms of income. Again, that's not to dismiss the real problems of poverty in this country, but it is that it does suggest that what we need to be doing is sort of focusing on why are the, who are those folks who can't seem to get out and why are they chronically stuck there and what kinds of policies are preventing upward mobility That becomes the other side of this story.
0: Steve Horwitz is a professor of economics at St. Lawrence University You can learn more about income inequality and its effects at our website Cato.org.